This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu for more information. In the mid-1990s, a new C-suite title was born when General Electric's CEO Jack Welch dubbed Steve Kerr the company's chief learning officer. Since then, CLOs have sprouted up at major firms in several industries. But what does this new breed of learning leaders bring to the table that traditional human resource departments and employee training programs do not? How does an increased emphasis on learning improve an organization? And do new technologies like distance learning, simulations and online portals, enhance or impede work-based education? To answer these questions, Knowledge at Wharton spoke with Ed Betoff, former Vice President of Talent Management and CLO at Becton Dickinson & Company. He is a senior fellow and academic director of Wharton Executive Education's Executive Program in Work-Based Learning Leadership. Mike Barger, Vice President and CLO at JetBlue University, and Ann Schulte, Vice President of Global Learning at MasterCard Worldwide, join us in the conversation. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Chief Learning Officer is a title that many of our listeners may not be familiar with. What exactly is the role of the CLO, and what's its relationship to the C-suite? Maybe we should start with you, Ed. The chief learning officer in organizations is the senior leader within that organization responsible for the development of talent in the organization. Most frequently, that person oversees a corporate or organizational university and uh, works with other C-level officers and executives, as well as other leaders in the organization to develop an aligned strategy to develop people skills and leadership skills consistent with the business goals and strategy. I think that's an excellent answer. I think the primary responsibility of the organizational learning leader is to connect all of the energies of the the learning function to the strategic objectives and needs of the business. So that is our primary responsibility. So you're connecting the talent of the learning function uh, faculty uh, and their energies with those needs of the business. Historically, human resources departments have been in charge of programs that enhance employees' skills, such as on-the-job training and tuition reimbursement. Why is there a need for a separate role that's wholly dedicated to learning? Well, I think in the environment we're in today, identifying um, the skills and the competencies that are necessary for an organization to be successful is a critical first step. And then once those competencies have been agreed upon at a strategic level by the organization, the learning department and the learning leaders can come in and provide a variety of different interventions. Uh, in the old days, as you referenced, um, when training uh, existed in in the HR department, uh, a lot of times those interventions were limited to a class of some sort. Today we talk about all different sorts of, of ways to help employees build their skills and become continuous learners so that they can continue to contribute to the strategic uh, goals of the organization. And I think the, the evolution of the learning function has moved more from a, a training and skills delivery function to more of a, a I guess, a performance engineering function. Our, our job now is, is directed much more at improving frontline performance Again, connecting that performance to business improvements, which is considerably different than, I think, what HR and training used to do. 
Um, I think now our energies, as I mentioned before, are really directed at, at driving a performance improvement uh, through all levels of the organization. One other thing that I would add is, in addition to addressing the skills, knowledge, and talent needs for today, the chief learning officer and the functions that they, that they lead are responsible for a- anticipating and working with other leaders in their organizations to anticipate the skills, the knowledge, the talents necessary next year, three years, and even five years, possibly even beyond, depending on the type of organization. So it should just about be impossible now going forward in very contemporary organizations to have a business plan, a strategic business plan, without a strong talent and talent learning element, not just hanging at the end of that plan, but integrated into the fiber of the, of the strategic plan. What is a corporate university exactly? And is this a growing trend? I think corporate universities have been around for a while, and I do think they're evolving. Um, and they may be a little bit uh, unique or have their own flavor, depending on the organization. At uh, MasterCard University, we have um, seven population-specific colleges that actually just help our learners understand, and it helps us target the um, these specific programs that may be directly related to the skills or the competencies that they need to build for the particular business unit that they're in. But a lot of it is is virtual. We when we talk about the corporate university, we are not talking about a uh, training center or a set of classrooms, dedicated classrooms or what have you. Um, it's more conceptual. It's, um, it's a learning portal, if you will, that provides access to a tremendous amount of resources um, beyond, again, beyond just classes. There's online learnings. There's collaborations. There's um, links to outside uh, partnerships, academic institutions, and the like that are all intended to provide knowledge uh, that is necessary in the moment that the employee needs it. And I think the the corporate university uh, philosophy allows uh, corporate learning leader or corporate leaders to be able to kind of emphasize the importance of learning to the success of the organization. Uh, corporate university doesn't necessarily mean that it's a centralized or a decentralized function. Um, in our case at JetBlue University, it is a, a completely centralized function, which means everyone that does training at JetBlue all lives under the same roof, not necessarily in the same geographic location, but all under the same kind of departmental roof. And what that allows us to do is, uh, is have a very common uh, educational philosophy. It allows us to, uh, to cross-pollinate uh, faculty. So in our case, we can have uh, flight instructors teaching flight attendants and customer service people. But having the centralized approach or common approach to education allows you to really connect different work groups, which is one of those, those key business challenges that organizations are dealing with today is trying to get different work groups to work better together. That's something that we can accomplish better in the corporate university environment. In many cases, employees are offered education options like tuition reimbursement, but it's more of a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. This seems to be an entirely different situation. Not only are people performing their job functions, they're being asked to factor in education. How do employees view this? Is it a perk or is it an added pressure? Well, I think the idea of, of the, the corporate university is to, again, elevate kind of the expectations of the development that, that one would get at the function. 
So I think as individuals come into the corporate university environment, they expect not only to get knowledge or skills, but they they expect to receive some sort of um, developmental opportunity that will really contribute to their ability to succeed. And uh, actually, um, we've seen that uh, uh, a lot of it is about what Mike mentioned earlier. It's about high performance, and that's improving individual performance, working on team performance, and that eventually translates into organizational performance or having a, a high-performance culture. But we're seeing that a lot of um, uh, a lot of our employees this development and the company's willingness to provide them opportunities to develop and grow their skills and learn continuously is very important to them. Um, and it's it's not something that they feel we're making them do. It's something that they look forward to and are um, appreciative of the opportunity to continue to grow their careers and their personal capabilities. Are there particular incentives for employees to participate? For example, is there a certain amount of status attached to completing various levels of training? Some some universities are structured that way where there are very prescriptive curriculum paths and you complete this curriculum and then you move to the next curriculum and that qualifies you to have a certain set of responsibilities or what have you. Others are, are, are more open um, and there's the idea that a, a career development or career management um, ultimately in today's tumultuous market rest with the employee. You're the captain of your own career. And if, um, you know, if you're given the opportunity and you seize the opportunity to to learn a new skill or to to increase your competency in a particular area there are no guarantees that there's a position open for a promotion or anything the minute that you finish that certification but when things do come available if you're ready because you have taken the initiative then you're a step ahead of the game and how do you measure your success that's a big question that it, that's one of the, the most challenging questions that I think corporate learning leaders have. Um, I think that uh, a lot of our success uh, today is really driven by the extent to which we're able to meet those strategic needs of the business. So uh, as Ed mentioned before, as businesses define their strategic objectives uh, and they align those objectives across all of the, the, the business functions uh, of the organization, the learning function uh, kind of has a responsibility to hold up of their end of the bargain and support the, the strategic, uh, strategic objectives of the company. And the extent to which they do that will de- define how well, how effective they are. That question, which is one of the most frequently asked questions, um, cannot be answered in one way. Uh, you really need to take a look at different populations, different needs, different ways that learning leaders structure their, uh, their work but let me give you a specific example of one way you, you, you can uh, address it. Just about every company today reports that they lack the bench strength. Some, in fact, I would say many report that they lack not only bench strength, but they lack incumbency strength at the leadership level in their organizations. So a learning, a learning leader which in many organizations either has responsibility for or partners with those who oversee the overall development of leadership talent in the organization through succession planning, through job challenges, through uh, movement into new roles. If you take the supply of leadership talent today and for tomorrow and you begin to measure 
progress in bolstering that pipeline, you can say that with some reasonable degree of confidence that the combination of efforts that that company is taking through job assignments, through its careful succession planning, through its learning efforts, begins to show definite improvements in both the quality as well as the quantity of talent that you have in those leadership ranks. That would be one way, but you'd have to break that down into many various uh, learning challenges in answering the question about measurement. Recently, TheEconomist.com had an ongoing debate about whether new technologies such as online portals and distance learning enhance education or impede it. What's your take on this? I feel pretty strongly that they enhance learning and our technology is an enabler. It's not the learning in and of itself, but it does allow us where we have a global um, population that we try to seek, um, and uh, it allows us to reach people that we couldn't reach face-to-face in a much quicker fashion. It also allows us to do things such as uh, simulations, practicing in it. Well, I mean, JetBlue can talk about that. Um, a lot of, of things that we can practice that we would not be able to do um, in the operational environment, et cetera, are enabled by technology. Yeah, I, I think the key is, is not using technology for technology's sake. I think one of the, the significant changes in, in learning over the last couple of decades is that we now deliver learning more in the context of kind of the environment that these people are going to be working in when they're doing their their day-to-day jobs. So uh, pilots, for example, are going to train in, in simulators that, that, are, uh, that represent the, the real thing about as well as you can. Uh, we're going to use other technologies in the classroom, out in the workplace, that are going to simulate the work environment so that there's, there's not a particularly clear line between the training environment and the work environment. So when they move from learning into of the execution of their day-to-day jobs, it's a very comfortable transition. So I think in that context, technology plays a huge role in helping folks get comfortable with the kinds of tools that they're going to have available to them when they're operating day-to-day. We can say with some reasonable level of confidence that experienced chief learning officers and senior learning leaders can select the right kinds of methods of delivery. There are certain things that will never substitute for face-to-face work. And I could say with that same level of confidence now that the technology support that's available for learning, there's probably certain things that can't substitute for that technology now. And it's a combination of selecting them carefully and sometimes blending them carefully, what we call blended learning solutions, that is that is the, uh, I, I think, more the answer than not. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.